Hear now God's word. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though, I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he may serve me, on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So, if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all, or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it, to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Please bow with me in prayer. Dear Lord God, we in thanksgiving come before you and we thank you that as Onesimus we were slaves, but you did not leave us as slaves. You left, uh, you brought us to the glorious light of your gospel You didn't leave us as slaves to our own devices, but you brought us to the freedom of Christ. We wanted freedom in sin, and yet we were not free. We were not free. You brought freedom to us through Christ Jesus. And Lord, we thank you for that. In thanksgiving, we thank you that every gift of God is given freely to us, that we have your Holy Spirit, Lord, that we are like Paul, We're prisoners of Christ, no longer prisoners of the flesh, but we're prisoners of Christ and we're servants to you. 
Father, we thank you for this church. We thank you that together as fellow laborers in Christ, we can come together and have fellowship. Each of us with our different backgrounds and coming from different um, histories and and different, uh, possibly different locations um, across the across the state or even possibly from from other states, Lord, um, that we are able to come together and have unity in the fellowship and the love of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for the fact that um, not only did you free us, but you allow us with your power to bring the good news to others, Lord. We, We thank you and rejoice in this, that even though we're unworthy and and as Cody prayed earlier in the prayer of confession, that we have, we have disobeyed you, Lord, um, over and over again, that, that you still forgive um, when we come to you humbly, and, and, that, and that through your Son, Jesus Christ, we have the, the power to um, say no to sin because he first did that, Lord, and that power is now in us for those of us who believe in you. So, Father, we pray for Christopher as he brings the word of God to us, and we pray that, um, that you would speak to him, that these would not be the words of men, but these would be the words of, of God. We know that there's power in your word, and, and Father, we thank you for the freedom to hear your word, the freedom to own uh, a, a Bible or multiple Bibles, most likely, in each of our homes, Father, and, and we, just, we just thank you for this opportunity today on this beautiful on this beautiful day that you've given us to uh, listen to your word. Father, I pray you prepare our hearts to hear and bless the rest of our service to your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Good morning. I want to say thank you to Mark for reading and to Brant for leading us this morning. Grateful to be standing here. Uh, I know that it is a privilege And I hope by God's grace to do his word justice. If you would have your Bibles open to Philemon as as we would begin. So as a way of getting to our topic, methods of communication throughout the last uh, 150 years have changed dramatically. We've gone from having to put a piece of paper on a pigeon or write a letter and send it by horse or by a guy to being able to send something through a fax or call somebody on the phone or send them a telegram. So we see that communication has improved. You're able to say things better. It's much better to talk to someone on the phone than to, for instance, send them a text. While my wife and I were in premarital counseling, that was actually one of the topics that came to the surface, was the fact that uh, we'd been doing a lot of texting. We lived 70 miles apart, and it was a cheap and efficient way to uh, communicate uh, frequently throughout the day. And um, It came up, though, that we'd been discussing things of heavy natures, And a lot of times that text was insufficient to contain the emotion and what you really meant to say. And uh, it was decided that we would back off of those heavy topics on on the iPhone. And we learned that it was much better 
to come face to face and to discuss those things that were, that were of importance. And so we see Paul doing that here uh, in looking at the letter, of, uh, the letter to the Colossians and to Philemon. Uh, we believe very strongly that they were sent together and, yet, uh, and sent to the same group of people. And yet Paul did not add this note to Philemon as some sort of postscript to Colossians. He made, he took the trouble to put together a separate missive, a separate letter to address this issue. Uh, and his goal was achieving reconciliation. And we're not going to quite get to that this morning. We're going to go through just the first seven verses of this book. So as Mark read, it's only 25 verses. Why study this book? It's not very long. It's, only the, it's actually the third shortest book in the Bible. There's no standout quotes as you skim through it. But as you look closer at this book, I believe that it clearly says this, that our identity in Christ calls us to forgiveness and reconciliation no matter what the offense thereby bringing refreshment to believers through obedience rooted in love. We live in a day and age where true biblical living is becoming increasingly unpopular and the church has been weakened by by many things. And this book is a powerful appeal from Paul to a church leader of the, the new church and he asked him to do something very radical. And it was important because Philemon was a man of, of influence in this early church and in the area where he lived. And there was the opportunity to do something incredible, something for the kingdom that would be unusual. It was a testimony to Christ and the gospel. And even as this book has an introduction that speaks to Philemon and Aphia and Archippus, it was really written to Philemon. And uh, even as he wrote it directly to him, addressing this particular issue, he wrote it in such a way that it could be read and could be of benefit to the church as well. And we can safely say that this is a book written to the church. As I mentioned uh, earlier, uh, towards the end of Colossians, we find that Tychicus brought both of these letters, very likely, and uh, it's neat to imagine both of these letters coming to these churches uh, in this area. Colossae was just one of uh, three or four churches that were in the area. So what are the common themes that we find in this book as a whole? Love, love for the saints, love for Christ, love for the lost, forgiveness, forgiving those who do not deserve to be forgiven because we've been forgiven everything. Refreshment. We can become and do become battle-weary at times, and it is of great refreshment to hear of the successful ministry to others and of the success of, of the gospel. Obedience. Obedience to Christ uh, for his sake and for the witness of the gospel. Reconciliation, we've been reconciled to Christ through his blood, and that was what Paul intended uh, in this uh, request, in this appeal. Conflict resolution. 
that may not seem to be what this book is about unless you start reading through it. This, there was a conflict. Somebody had been wronged, and there's plenty of conflicts in the church today, and there is much that we will learn as we go through this book. And I think one of the most important themes is our identity. Paul appealed to Philemon based on his identity in Christ. And that should be the most important thing that we identify. I have been realizing lately that as I introduce myself to someone or as I walk up to them and meet someone for the first time, too often what goes through my head is, well, I'm the uh, worship facilitator at my local church. I'm a videographer. That should not be my identity. My identity should be who am I? In Christ. So where's Paul and what is he doing as he writes this letter? In many of his other epistles, he designates himself as an apostle. But we don't see that here. All he says is, I'm a prisoner. And that doesn't seem like a very auspicious way to begin, but it goes back to the identity that he's calling Philemon back to. He's imprisoned in Rome. This is, we're guessing, around 60 AD. And he's not under house arrest. As far as we can tell, he's actually in prison. So there's very little that he can do. But these letters are a vital way that he continues to minister to, this, to the new churches, to the growing churches. So who was Philemon? There's not a whole lot that we know about him. We do know that he was a leader of the local church residing in or close to Colossae, and his witness and his testimony was vital to the, uh, the spread of the gospel in this part of Asia. His, uh, as you see, Paul addressed him as a beloved fellow worker, so there was a relationship there. We're not sure if they had actually met in person, and Philemon was uh, not the founder of this church. It was more likely Epaphras, but Philemon had people meeting at his house, so he was definitely an integral part of, of what was going on. It's very possible that he was well-to-do, that he had, uh, he, that he had some wealth. Uh, being a slave owner was, was not cheap. Uh, sometimes you paid thousands of dollars for a good slave. So we don't know how large his household was, but uh, if he had the church meeting there, it's, uh, there's a good chance that it was a significant-sized household. So moving right, into, moving right into our text, beginning with the first part of verse 1, we see the declaration of authorship and Paul writing from a prison cell, and he just simply says, I'm a prisoner from, from Jesus Christ. But that sets up how he appeals to uh, Philemon later concerning Onesimus. Uh, and again, he doesn't say, I'm an apostle. He doesn't say, I'm your big church daddy. So listen to, to what I've got to say. He says, look to who Christ is and how should that change your response. We could understand it this way. This is his appeal. Our standing in Christ prevails over all else and allows us to find true common ground between other believers simply in their faith in the Lord Jesus. It's very likely that Paul and Philemon had different vocations and different ways of going about life, but yet they had this common ground 
in serving, serving the Lord. Moving to verses 2 and 3, we see a, a blessing and a greeting to the, the other believers uh, that were part of the church and in the, in the church in his house. And we may just kind of move past these as sort of a standard uh, opening uh, to an epistle, but I see a diversity here that I want to call attention to. It says, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and then to Aphia, our sister. It's possible that Aphia was Philemon's wife. And Archippus, our fellow soldier. And then earlier, we see that Paul is a prisoner and Timothy is called a brother. So we see a diversity uh, in unity uh, in, the, in the church and in the invisible church at large. And it just brings to mind that Christ has given each of us in the church diversity of gifts. We may not all serve in, uh, we definitely do not all serve in the same way. Uh, we have all been called to, to, to different ways of serving. First Peter 4 says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. There are so many different ways to be a part of ministry, to be in service in the church. And those can include greeting people and food preparation and cleaning bathrooms and counting contributions, uh, maybe playing an instrument. And as we serve, let us not get caught up in looking at the other guy and what he's doing and how he is doing what he's doing. Let us focus on the area that God has, has called you to. I think one of the arguments that I would make that just these first seven verses uh, declare is that we must not fail to proclaim the gospel. It is vital to the growth of the kingdom and of immense personal value and refreshment to us and to other believers in their journey with the Lord. We must not fail to proclaim the gospel. So I just have two points. Point number one, taken from verses four through six. Verses four through six. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. So point number one would be blessings understood through knowledge. Blessings understood through knowledge. So Paul wants Philemon and the other believers to come to the full knowledge of God's blessings received as a result of our status in, as children in the kingdom of God. Sounds like I just made a jump there. How did I connect blessings with full knowledge? We'll get to that in just a moment. So we see that Philemon is sharing his faith. And as Cody mentioned a few weeks back, how encouraging it was to hear about someone sharing the gospel and uh, the gospel being um, shared with those who do not know it. Uh, and, and it's amazing how powerful that is and how encouraging it is. Usually we don't find ourselves jealous. It's just, I'm glad to hear that the gospel is being 
spoken. And especially when a missionary comes to visit, we love to hear uh, how their work is going forward and what they're doing and how the gospel is at work uh, in their lives and in their ministry. So we see Paul being encouraged even hundreds of miles away in a prison cell just by hearing about Philemon's faithfulness and his love, both for the local body and I'm sure for the unbelievers in his community as well. And so we see that the gospel witness must be heard from believers, both for the benefit of believers and non-believers alike. We might even say it this way. The full knowledge of Christ's work for us through his finished work on the cross is an infinite blessing to us and should be a motivation to bring the kingdom light to all the world. And again, I'm coming to the blessing part here in a moment. Evangelism strengthens others in the faith. And evangelism is not just sharing to those who have not heard the gospel. It is speaking of the gospel on a regular basis to those who, to, who do know it, reminding them. And even if it was not a blessing to us, even if it did not strengthen us, we have a clear mandate in Matthew 28 to go and make disciples uh, of all the nations. So please open your Bibles with me to the book of Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, and we'll actually begin in chapter 3 in Ephesians. We're going to spend just a few minutes here. It's page 977 in your pew Bible. And I hope to show how this full knowledge is connected through love and how this knowledge is a blessing to us. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And Isaiah describes the full knowledge of God as water covering the entire earth. Going back to Ephesians, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So what is this full knowledge that Paul speaks of? So move your eyes over to chapter 1 of Ephesians, starting in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, 
which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be the to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So we see that as Paul prayed that they would come to full knowledge and that Philemon would come to full knowledge of what Christ had done for him, we see these spiritual blessings as, as part of that full knowledge. And what are some of those blessings that we just read? We're adopted into the kingdom of God. We are accepted. God sees the loveliness of Christ instead of our sins, and thus we are made acceptable through the blood of Christ. We are redeemed Christ's sacrifice has paid for our sins once and for all. We're forgiven. Forgiveness of our sins past, present, and future. We have an inheritance. And we are sealed for the day of redemption by the Holy Spirit. So as we share our faith with others, and as we share with both believers and non-believers... Our knowledge of Christ grows through our love for him by the work of the Holy Spirit on our hearts and we come to know more fully who he is and what he has done on our behalf. Paul was blessed by hearing of the love and faith that Philemon had and he said, it's a great blessing to me and I hope that and pray that you will grow in the full knowledge of Christ and of who you are in him. And again, calling him and appealing to him in this introduction to who he was and what he had been blessed with in Christ before he comes to his appeal for Onesimus. So our first point, blessings understood through knowledge, looking at verses four through six. And point number two, looking just at verse seven, Verse 7 says, For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Our second point would be the joy and comfort of faithful testimony. So Philemon's love for the saints and his efforts to refresh them uh, furthered the gospel work in the hearts of other believers. There's the direct implication that Uh, The knowledge of Philemon's efforts and what he was doing uh, was of invaluable blessing to the continued work uh, of the gospel. And Paul makes similar statements in other epistles, one of them being in uh, 1 Corinthians 16. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaeus because they have made up for your absence, for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. So what does it mean to be refreshed? 
I confess that that was a little bit of a, a mystery to me before studying this. And the, the Greek and the Hebrew have slightly different connotations, but they have the same intent. It, it comes down to uh, a refreshing being rested, to take, a, to take a breath and to be able to start again. Keep in mind that Paul is in prison and he is limited, very limited in what he can do. But here he is hearing about what Philemon's doing, and he's refreshed. It's a breath of fresh air. It is restoring him. And this is Paul suffering, being in prison, and being refreshed in the midst of suffering. That must have been, that must have been a great thing. So we see that biblical joy and refreshment are a great blessing granted to, to other believers by the Holy Spirit as a result of our efforts for the sake of the gospel. So how could we go about doing this in the lives of of other believers in our day? How can we be refreshing? I think it would be clear that the fullest expression of this would be when we clearly proclaim the gospel and live it out in our lives. We have an opportunity to give someone a boost uh, in their walk with God as they uh, as we live out the gospel. And as I spoke of earlier, maybe it's sharing about how you've witnessed to someone. Uh, maybe it's even simpler than that. Maybe it's just asking them a simple uh, or an intelligent question, rather, about their lives and how they're doing. Maybe you stop and actually pray with them in church. Too many times we tell folks that we're going to pray for them, and then we forget. If you're going to pray for somebody, you probably won't forget if you stop right then and do it. Maybe you could share a word from Scripture that God has been impressing upon you lately. The gospel is power for everyday living. The knowledge of what Christ has done for us allows us to forgive others as they sin against us. It gives us patience with our two-year-old as we realize that we probably look like toddlers in God's eyes in many ways, and it allows us to love those who are difficult to love as we realize that God loved us first. What if you took the kids for an evening and let a mom and dad to go have an evening by themselves? That would be refreshing, I'm sure. So let's be thinking of ways that we can be the hands and feet of Christ to the invisible church, and to those who do not know him. There are many needy in the world. But it doesn't have to be a physical act. It could just be a word spoken at the right time. can be very effective. But as we see here, it should be all in love for the brethren and in pursuit of proclaiming the gospel. That must be at the heart of it. And you could say that this refreshing comes through the conduit of fellowship. Intimacy and sharing uh, about one another's lives is one of the biggest means that we can be of refreshment to one another. And if you're not involved in other people's lives, how are you going to know how to minister to them? And it doesn't mean that we become busybodies. There's no need to just know about things to know about them. How are you going to take that information and do something with it, pray with them, find ways to, to help them? We should be interested in 
joys and struggles and concerns of others. I had the opportunity last week as I was going to be driving for some hours, I decided to call up a friend that I had not been able to speak with for a long time and we, he, he took his lunch hour and we were able to speak for about an hour just on the phone and it was of great uh, refreshment to both of us, great encouragement and we didn't talk of spiritual or scriptural things the entire time but uh, it was a great blessing nonetheless and he expressed that uh, as we hung up. So take every opportunity that you have uh, to, to go about sharing the gospel and maybe it's not saying Jesus died for your sins but living out the gospel in everyday life. And I give you permission to uh, steal my idea, call it phone fellowship. And you might say, well, I'm not a people person. I'd like to do these things but I'm not really a people person. And I think some of you would probably be surprised to realize that once upon a time, I was not a people person either. Uh, socializing was at the bottom of my list, and I found it very difficult to be in large groups of people and to interact with them. And God helped me through that. And uh, as you can see, I'm usually not afraid of getting up in front of a crowd. But even if you're not a people person, find ways to go about being in fellowship being intimate with other believers, and you might find yourself being blessed more than they. I'd like to repeat what I said earlier. We must not fail to proclaim the gospel. It is vital to the growth of the kingdom and of immense personal value and refreshment to us and other believers in their journey with the Lord. I want to close with a story that came up in my Facebook feed yesterday. A group of translators has been working on a translation of the Bible into the Kurdish Sorani language for 28 years. And they just finished it. And that's going to enable 6 million people who speak and read and write this language to be able to open up their, their app on their phone or to open up a physical copy and to be able to read God's word. Isn't that refreshing? That is encouraging. That is love and faithfulness for the gospel at work and the love of Christ being worked out through the power of the Holy Spirit. So how far are you and I going to be willing to go? How will we go about bringing refreshment to believers, joy to the saints, and comfort to those in need? How will we be salt and light? Father God, we are grateful for this small book. And Lord, there are so many more things that could have been unpacked and taken out of these brief seven verses. But I pray that we would be challenged and encouraged by Philemon's example. That we would be salt and light in our everyday lives, inside of our families, uh, to those who we come in contact with through work, and to those who we are close with at church. Lord, to give us creativity in finding ways and in making the time to be true members of the church of Christ. And Lord, 
not for the sake of works, not for the sake of putting jewels in our crown, but so that we might be the conduit of Christ to others. Lord, we are needy people and broken vessels, but you have blessed us with every spiritual blessing, and we are grateful to be part of your kingdom. And may we go about this week in a new light. Lord, may the word be working on us even now. We thank you for this time that you have given us together, and we ask that we may not depart from this place unchanged. And Lord, we ask all this in faith and in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and for his sake. Amen.